Hello, and welcome to Warhammer 40K's Grim History from the Beyond. I'm Zekthar. And I'm Yuxin. We are the chroniclers of all that was, and all that will be in the 41st millennium. We have seen the rise and fall of many empires. Yet this month, we will be speaking of those crazy human space vikings known as space wolves. Outstanding, Zekthar. They are one of my favorite units of space marines. Those strange humans were altered by gene seeds and the sons of Lehman Ross. Right you are, Yuxin. Well, let's get into it. Now, brother, you have been itching to tell the story of Ragnar Blackmane, and this is the week to do it. This week, we will be talking about our favorite warriors of the Space Wolves. Well, Zekthar, what do you have in store for us? Indeed, brother. Yet, I figure we should start this chronologically, which means we must start with Bjorn the Fell-Handed, which, if I recall right, you wish to discuss. Righto, but I must warn you, fine folks that are listening, because we too are very passionate about the Space Wolves. This box will likely be longer than our others. Quite right, brother. I was thinking closer to a standard Imperial hour. Indeed, but let us not beat around the bush any longer. Ladies and gentlemen, Bjorn the Fell-Handed. This famed character was originally known as Bjorn the One-Handed due to an injury he received from a demon while protecting Caspar Hauser during the Horse Heresy in the 31st millennium. Oh, wait a minute. That's the same guy that betrayed Lehman Russ, right? Actually, no. <laughs> he was actually being manipulated by chaos. Uh Okay. Until he figured it out and he tried to put an axe through the demon's head. How did that work out for him? Well, uh, not too well. Pretty much all the guard that was around him ended up dying except Bjorn, who basically has got one of his arms pretty mangled up and destroyed via sorcery. But regardless of that... But what happened to Casper? He survived. Oh, then what happened yeah. to him? Just out of curiosity. He ended up doing this more historical um, chronicling throughout, actually, the, the fall of Prospero. Oh, so he recorded the destruction of Prospero. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, sorry. Carry on. Okay. Uh, the fact that he was able, that Bjorn was able to stave off and delay the de this demon is a great feat since it wasn't truly destroyed until a rune priest and a squad of Sisters of Silence, of whom have the Priagene. What, what is that? What's a Priagene? A Priagene is, well, Priags were a type of Necron that basically um, let out this. A Necron? Power that basically eliminated sorceress psychic abilities in the general vicinity of them. In Purium terms, they also called them blanks. Oh, so they're not Necrons. They're blanks. No. Okay. Uh, the gene itself is basically a gene that they refer to as a Priya gene because of the historical fact that Priyas have this ability. Oh, okay, so they're just using that word because that's the word that they know of from that is a Necron. 
Yes. Gotcha. At least the way that I understand it. Okay. Fair enough. Carry on. So, along with the Sisters of Silence and Rune Priest, but also two dreadnoughts. Took all those people to finally destroy the freaking thing. After that, he gains more renown on Prospero and other battles that made him and his packs stand out and were often singled out to lead assaults where enemy resistance was expected to be the heaviest. I mean, let's face it, these guys slaughtered countless aliens, humbled tyrants, and even huge space marines that had fallen from the Emperor's grace. Yet despite having such skill, all save Bjorn himself met their doom at the hands of the Demon King, Arvex the Archslaughter. Now it is known that the wolves were victorious against the demonic war host due to the rival of Rus, yet it was Bjorn's relentless assault that drove this seemingly unstoppable demon from the field. Despite this victory of sorts and the praise and hearty approval of those who witnessed his heroic battle against the demon king, he never forgave himself for the loss of his kinsmen. As he witnessed his packmates burn atop the victory pyres, he gave, a vo- gave voice to a long, mournful howl. He has recorded that he gave the following oath as he knelt before their burning bodies. Lo there do I see fallen kinsmen, threads cut by the foe now I seek. In bloody battle I will engage him and carve my vengeance from his flesh. No ale shall pass my lips, at no feast will I indulge. No foe shall stay my wrath until my brothers are avenged. Ever shall I hunt my quarry across the sea of stars, whilst I yet breathe. I will not falter until Morkai claim his due. A, a great quote, brother. I do have one question. Who's Morkai? Okay, so Morkai is also known as the death wolf god in Fenrisian mythology. The two-headed wolf that, in legend, was defeated by Primarch Lumen Russ, the Wolf King. It may also be noted that one of the fellow lieutenants of this two-headed wolf was actually named Blackmane. The Howler of the Dead. Huh. Interesting. Anyways, carry on. So, to his frustration, it took five years until Arvax's location surfaced once more. Russ immediately led his space walls to destroy the fell creature, determined to personally slay the Demon King himself and avenge those who had died during their last encounter. Yet in this goal, the Primarch was to be denied, for Bjorn also sought out his gnosis and, as fate would have it, was the first to face Arvax in battle. As the Wolf King tore through the Cornate Horde toward his quarry, he witnessed Bjorn's duel firsthand. Res could only look on in fatherly pride as Bjorn deftly rolled beneath the blow, attempting to cut him in half. Then he clambered up the demon's towering frame to tear out the arc slaughterer's 
throat with his trusty wolf claw. In the aftermath of the battle, Rest came to Bjorn in person and exonerated him in front of the entire Legion, holding his oath fulfilled. I, I would like to say, I love the difference here between Lehman Russ and the Emperor. I mean, if this was the Emperor, he probably would have slain Bjorn outright. I mean, just, just simply because... If it was the Emperor, the Emperor would have been like, no, he's mine. And then Bjorn would have killed him. And then he'd have been like, how dare you take that from me? And then thump, would have killed him. Yet, Lehman treats Bjorn as, as as more of like a favorite son, not like an errant lackey who took his glory. Well, we've already established that uh, the Emperor was a douche. Yeah. So, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Okay, he's a little bit more complicated than that, but yeah, okay, I, I, I hear you. We're trying to keep this down a bit in time. Well, okay, even just, though, go ahead you know. and keep going then. Fine, fine, <laughs> fine, fine. I won't say anything. Setting a precedent that still exists to this day, the Wolf King promoted Bjorn to his personal wolf guard, naming him the Fell Handed in honor of his mighty deed. The Scalds of the chapter hold that it was the sense of loss and tragedy that Bjorn had already experienced influenced Russ's decision to leave him behind when he set forth on his last faithful journey into the Eye of Terror. Of all of the Primarchs, Wolfguard, he alone had shown such strength of purpose and determination in his darkest hour. He alone would understand the lonely burden of command in the Primarch's absence. As we have already seen, brother, Bjorn is old, very old, and he is part of almost every grand adventure of this mighty chapter. Unfortunately, we do not have time to go through all his great and noble feats. So I ask you, what story do you wish to hear? Um, I have no idea. But Wait, wait a minute. I, I got an idea. <laughs> you know, those are dangerous, right? <laughs> Anyways, why don't I pick one for you to chronicle this week, and I will do a separate one after this box that you can pick. That is a wonderful idea. Why didn't I think of it? Very well. Why don't you vox later the story of the Battle of the Fang? Now I know you will be briefly describing this event in your Grimnor segment, but perhaps you do a full spectrum of it. Very well, brother. And you should tell of the fateful day Bjorn the Fell-Handed fell in combat and became a dreadnought. Bjorn's heroic career at, as the first great wolf of the Space Wolves was tragically cut short during the Proxima Rebellion towards the end of the 31st millennium. Bjorn led a successful raid to free those of his battle brothers trapped within the notorious Dreadsun Fortress, but unfortunately his body sustained such terrible injuries that to preserve his life, what was left of his shattered body was interred in a Dreadnought. Acutely aware that as a Dreadnought he could no longer fulfill his duties as a master of the chapter, Bjorn abdicated his position as the Great Wolf. To the Space Wolves, Bjorn represents the chapter's greatest link to the past. He is revered as a hero, almost as great as Lehman Russ, and his words are to his living brethren akin to law, for he is the only one amongst them who can still judge a situation by their Primarch's own standard. 
In this, Bjorns also functions as the Space Wolves' moral compass, and even the stubbornness incarnate that is Logan Grimnar, the current Great Wolf, listens and defers to Bjorn's ancient wisdom when the eldest speaks against him. On the occasions where Bjorn is roused to take to the field, the Space Wolves will fight with a tenacity and stubbornness remarkable for the Space Wolves, for they believe that faltering in the eyes of Bjorn is akin to faltering in the eyes of Leonrus himself. Woe to the being skillful, yet unlucky enough to dare to damage the mighty venerable Dreadnought, for it only spurs the Space Wolves into fanatical, homicidal rage, and the whole of them will charge forward madly in order to prevent the eldest from being defiled by the foe. Now, brother, what do you think about this revered individual? Yeah, I've actually got quite a few thoughts about him. But um, real quick, so that you can explain anyways to the people that probably don't know this, could you briefly describe for us anyways what a dreadnought is? Okay, so when um, space marines, who obviously aren't immortal since, you know, they die uh, <laughs> in battle... Okay, I will say though that a space marine, if it doesn't, if they don't die in battle, they can live pretty, pretty long. Yes, but yeah. Anyway, they aren't immortal. No, uh, no, we don't know how long because they generally die in combat. Uh, Correct. So when uh, generally the the greater Astartes are crippled beyond the possibility of actually being able to you know, basically regenerated and put back together, however you want to put it. Uh, they're transferred into basically a cyborganic sarcophagus with a life support system. And then they're basically connected to a robot kind of like shell. Mm-hmm. So imagine a sarcophagus being plugged into a mech. Right. way to explain it. <laughs> Um, and if I recall right, Bjorn's got some beefy stuff attached to it. He's got a he's got a plasma cannon, a Hellfrost cannon, uh, or twin link lasers. Well, that's the other thing that's kind of interesting is they can kind of plug in whatever they want on his arms. Yeah, to let him run with it. Um, he's most often uses an assault cannon. He also on his but his other hands like this giant like claw thingy majigger, so he can like murder people with it. <laughs> I guess that's the best way of saying it. Honestly, I think it's interesting that that. Well, first off, if I recall right, isn't he the oldest space marine thing out there? Yes. Other than well, okay, other oldest. than Leon L. Johnson, who just appeared again, correct? And except for um, he isn't a space wolf, so we aren't including that. Right. Well, no, I know. I'm just saying. I'm I'm just talking about space marines in general. Yeah. And yes, I know. Technically, he's not a space marine. He's a primar. But I mean, other than, and then, uh, okay, I think Robert Gilliman, right? He's the other one that popped back up again. I think he's, I think he's reincarnated or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, other than Leon L. Johnson, he is like the oldest space marine thing out there, right? Well, I think Vulcan's still around too, but you know, He's kind of un, well. Well, Vulcan, okay, Vulcan doesn't count. Vulcan does not count. 
because he just reincarnates. He cannot die. He's no, you don't reincarnate. He just die. resurrects. Yes, he resurrects. He just all of a sudden, poof, he shows back up again. Okay. So he is, though, like the oldest, right? Yes. Out of any chapter other than Leon L. Johnson. Yes. He is the only one that's been around long enough to have actually fought alongside like the horse heresy in fact yeah and actually fought on the same battlefield as the emperor he's almost yeah he's almost ten thousand years old at this point right no he's over ten thousand years old oh well then uh (laughs) anyways uh the thing that i find interesting is is that he's like he's a historian that lived through everything which is just kind of bizarre because normally anyways, like for us anyways, as historians, I mean, well, yeah, we were alive during the time. It wasn't like we actually fought through it. Yeah. Yet he fought through all the history anyways of the space wolves, which I find kind of interesting. Which is another reason why the space wolves also treat them as like, for example, another title form is the revered one. Cause basically this guy's been through pretty much everything. Yeah. And so he has not only just, you know, he's been around, you know, with Lehman Russ and stuff like that. He's also has all this extra experience on top of that. He's able to apply to it. So even if he said, you know, well, I'm pretty sure you should go this way because of this particular tactic worked so well against this foe. They go, Mm -hmm. well, that doesn't make any sense. But since he said that, it'll probably work. Now there is one space sense, wolf. But I'm pretty sure it'll work, and it does. <laughs> now there is one space wolf, anyways, that will actually go against, and not often, but he has been known occasionally to go against, anyways, Bjorn's advice. And that would be the next guy we're going to talk about, and probably the only person, anyways, in the entire chapter that could actually do so without not getting his head shot off. Oh yeah. Well, I don't know. Ulrich might also, but Ulrich doesn't really. No, <laughs> except for Ulrich doesn't count because he doesn't actually give orders. So, you know. exactly. <laughs> so he wouldn't defy Bjorn because he wouldn't be giving any orders. As opposed to this guy, Logan Grimnar, who happens to be the Great Wolf. <laughs> Logan Grimnar is the leader of the Space Wolves at this time of the 41st millennium. He has been the Great Wolf for quite some time now. When he took up this mantle, I cannot say, but it has been more, at least more than 500 years. We do know that he was the leader of the Great Chapter by the time of the First War of Armageddon. Now, this is where our story will start. I will not go through the drudgery of the First War, other than to say, no, they were actually not fighting orcs, but the followers of chaos. Seems strange that the planet Armageddon was besieged by something other than orcs. (laughs) I know, right? It just seems like every time we look at that planet, the orcs are overrunning it. But I digress. The Space Wolves, with the help of the uh, the Imperial Guard, formed a defense against the forces of chaos. Showing wisdom beyond his years, Logan realized that his forces would not be enough. So he called in a favor to the secret of Grey Knights, a Space Marine chapter that's sole purpose is to fight the demons of chaos. Okay, before I keep going, I do have a question for you, uh, Yuxin. The Grey Knights, is that chapter actually part of the Inquisition? Or are they their own thing uh technically they are not part of the inquisition they will join 
the Inquisition a lot of the time. Uh, well, one of the branches, I should say, a lot of the time, because they are in connection with Ordos Malleus. In other words, yeah. the people that go after demons, because that is their basically their sole aspect is fighting demons. That's just their right. job. Right. Well, anyways, thank you for clearing that up. Because the stuff I was looking at, it, I couldn't figure out anyways if they took orders from the Inquisition or if they just kind of were there and they kind of go hand in hand with the inquisition and it sounds like they kind of go more hand in hand like you were just saying with that they're the, kind with, of like the with that particular chapter inquisition yeah anyways uh with the gray knights bolstering his line uh the empire of man found victory at this time logan grimnar vanquished the champion of corn and took his axe as a prize of victory the way he did so i have to pull from the chronicles it is just too awesome not to speak of the Chaos Champion, Acor Doomflare, charged out of the ranks of the World Eaters, his rune-encrusted axe cutting down two of Grimnar's Wolfguard in the span of a few moments. Suddenly, the Great Wolf found himself fighting for his life. Doomflare's insane fury, pushing him back towards the Imperium's defensive line. With an incoherent cry, the Coronate Champion struck the flat of Grimnar's Frostblade, shattering it into a million glittering shards. Yet the Doomflare's moment of triumph was also his last, as the Great Wolf lunged inside his executioner's swing, swiping off his skull-faced helm with a clawed hand and sinking his fangs in the exposed throat underneath. As Doomflare fell, his throat torn from his body, Grimnor snatched up his opponent's crimson steel axe, cutting a path back to his wolfguard through knots of homicidal cornate berserkers. Now, Euxin, I tell this story to remind us that while a beloved chapter leader, and honor him we should. Yet in this moment, he proves that while the Space Wolves are a noble chapter, there is a deep-seated barbarism about them. Well, to be fair, in comparison to pretty much all of the um, mentionable Space Marine chapters, tradition is very strong. And in the case of the Space Wolves, it's based around the traditions of Lehman Russ, who was, you know, raised amongst wolves and then right and um barbaric tribes on fenris so mm -hmm. that pretty much is adhered throughout their their chapter not to I, exclude I, the fact that the space wolves themselves are taken out of fenrisian tribes right aka barbarians yeah <laughs> uh I will say it's kind of interesting is, is that it is also something that kind of separates them from the other chapters. I mean, like a good example anyways, is that they're looked on Besides the teeth, different right? distaste from the, the Smurfs or dare I say the, uh, uh, ultramarines, <laughs> but they, they kind of, they're, they're kind of, it's, it's almost like if you look at Terran 42, the space wolves are like Vikings and the ultramarines are like Roman legionnaires. They just don't kind of mix very well. The one that I'm kind of surprised that they don't get along with better anyways is actually the Blood Angels. Blood Angels are kind of, they're they're pretty barbaric themselves. They kind of, you know, drink the blood of their enemies and such. But anywho, Logan fought with the axe for the rest of the, the campaign, but the distaste of wielding such a chaos-infused weapon displeased him. And at the end of the fight, he had the weapon forged into an even more deadly blade, which he dubbed Morakai. Like the two-headed death wolf. Yep. While Logan Grimnar is a hero of the Imperium, 
He is not a blind follower. Taking final teachings of his father, Lehman Russ, he shows it at the end of the first Armageddon War. When victory was finally had, the Inquisition showed up. <laughs> I, I, know, I know, Yuxin, you don't like those guys. I don't really like them either, but eh, some of them are. There's a few. Uh, yeah, it's, it's that old saying. What is it? Uh, every once in a while, a blind squirrel will still find a nut. <laughs> yeah, it also depends on what branch you're looking at, too. Uh, yeah. I just think they're all pretty pompous. But anyways, they, they, they showed up and demanded that those that fought against chaos should be purged from the universe. Better than humanity not know chaos by the slaughter of billions. Yeah, see, see, this is why I don't like the Inquisition. But anyways, Logan had a problem with this. These simple few had followed him to hell and back. Yet the Imperium of Man dictated they should be exterminated for their noble defense of humanity. The Great Wolf would not stand for it. When Logan Grimnar discovered the plot to kill everyone on Armageddon, he packed all the planet's survivors onto his ships and tried to make a great escape. Well, he could have fought his way out, he opposed that and declared that his ships should not fire on the Inquisition unless he was fired upon. And so the great chase, known as the Month of Shame, began. Through the next month, a cat-and-mouse game took place between the Great Wolf and the Inquisition. The longer the game went on, the more those that fought for the Inquisition began to lose faith. Why were they hunting down their fellow man? It was something that plagued Jehesme Kisnaros, leader of the naval fleet, that chased the wolves. Some even still to this day say he was actually an agent of chaos, wishing to exterminate humanity. Regardless, it came to a head when Kisnaros laid siege to Fenris itself, while most of the wolves were carrying on with trying to help the survivors of Armageddon escape. When Logan heard about this, he pulled the navy of the space wolves together and engaged the sieging army. In the end, Logan Grimnar killed Kisnaros himself, and our good friend Bjorn garnered a piece from the Inquisition. Yet again, Yuxin, we find that Bjorn not only is, is shown as this great warrior, but he also has a wisdom about him. And he can garner, and he has that that awesome presence anyways of uh, um, age that we talked about. Well, you know, he did stop somebody who was on homicidal rage at that point. True, true. <laughs> Anyways, in the end, he garnered a peace, anyways, uh, between the Space Wolves and the Inquisition. It was not a happy truce, mind you. The Inquisition wanted to keep a firm grip on the Space Wolves. And in response, Logan kicked the Inquisition out of Fenris. He just said, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> it just kicked him out. That was centuries ago. Yet because of this, two things happened. A deep distrust of the Inquisition was sown across the galaxy. And two, Logan Grimnar became a hero of the population of humanity. Logan Grimnar continues to prove time and time again that he fights for the people of humanity and not the leaders of men. That was 500 years ago, and now Logan is lovingly called by his chapter, The Old Wolf. To the wolves of Fenris, he is known as Grandfather, while his enemies call him Death. He is someone who has, for the last 500 years, garnered respect through trials and glorious conquests across the galaxy. All are taught in the chapter that Lehman Russ is their all-father. Logan Grimnar is the father they know. The whole chapter would follow him into the eye of terror without a second thought. And the demons of the warp thank their lucky stars that he has it. Now, brother, what say you about this valiant hero of the Imperium? 
don't have much to say concerning him that he hasn't already mentioned. Um, other than the fact that obviously the fact that he's been around as long as he has is a representation of how well he fights and how well he thinks, despite being extremely stubborn. Isn't he considered like one of the greatest great wolves that they've ever had? Um, I think so. Yeah, I mean, he's up there anyways when they when people are mentioned anyways, like the greats of the Space Wolf chapters, he's right up there with Lehman, Russ, and Bjorn. Normally. He's also, he's also one of the ones that actually has a, a Land Raider, a.k.a. a Space Marine tank that's actually really, really old. <laughs> what? Okay. What? <laughs> you need to clarify that. That kind of came out of okay. left field. Land Raider Redeemers are a type of Land Raider. And a Land Raider is basically a tank slash transport of the Space Marines. He actually has extremely old one known as the Fire of Fenris, which in itself is kind of amazing. The fact that, you know, there's an extremely old tank out there to begin with. Okay. Oh, thank you for that tidbit, Yuxin. And and I know that I could at least spend the rest of this box talking about Logan, but we have to continue, or else we'll hear about more stories about tanks. <laughs> How about we shift over into Logan's closest friend, Ulrich the Slayer? D by the way, does he have a tank named after him? No, neither does Ah. <laughs> neither does Logan. Who? Yeah, you said Logan did. Oh no, no, he has I a said tank. he rides in one. Sorry. Well, okay, fine. Does Ulrich ride in a tank? Not to my knowledge. Ah! Well, he probably does, but not his own personal one. Oh, fair uh, enough. <laughs> well, that's interesting. But like I said before, we have to carry on. Very well. Let's discuss Ulrich the Wolf Priest. Now, excluding Dreadnoughts, Ulrich the Slayer is the oldest wolf alive. In fact, it was Ulrich himself who selected the Great Wolf Logan Grimnar for induction into the Space Wolves, despite being known to treat the Great Wolf as a young pup now and again. He has a close bond with Logan and is his chief advisor. What one might say that they are friends? They are more than that. They are as close as brothers. Ah. Though he has fought countless battles and won the chapter much honor, first time he truly found renown was when he fought in the first war of Armageddon as one of Wolf Lord Kruger's Wolf Guard. While fighting the Chaos Space Marines of the World Eaters, Lord Kruger fell in combat to three hulking corn berserkers. Despite having lost his blade, Ulrich leapt to the defense of his dying lord and slew the berserkers. His battle fury was so awe-inspiring that Angron, the demon primarch of the World Eaters, felt compelled to offer a grim salute. The day after the Imperium's victory on Armageddon, Ulrich was renamed the Slayer, and his fellow wolf guards voted him as Kruger's replacement. Astonishing many, Ulrich declined. For at his heart, he considered himself a warrior and not a leader. Instead, he accepted the role of wolf priest, where he discovered his true calling, the selection and training of new recruits of the chapter. 
With years of combat experience and accrued wisdom, Ulrich is both a fine teacher and a great mentor for any aspiring wolf. Now, what's your opinion on this ferocious old geezer? Actually, real quick, I do have a question for you. What is a wolf priest? They're like chaplains, right? Okay, so in comparison to uh, chaplains of space marines, wolf priests hold two different positions. Okay, chaplain in general is basically, they're kind of the moral compass teachers and faith keepers, basically the space marines. Like, okay. Uh, whereas wolf priests hold that position and then they also hold the position of basically the apothecaries so they're kind of also a medic and they're also the people that put the people through the trials for becoming a wolf okay so they're like the recruiters too yeah they okay. hold the dual position of recruiter actually i guess that'd be three positions recruiter medic and faith leader or whatever you want to call that hmm interesting and what's the relationship between them and the uh I know they got a different name for them, but the 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 librarians of the space wolves, which they call, what do they call them? It's wolf room priests are. Oh, it's not called. The, it's not the wolf <laughs> rune priests. Rune priests are like <laughs> the librarians of of other space wolf chapters. So they're the psychers, right? Yeah, they're the psychers, whereas wolf priests aren't. Concerning Ulrich, I. I don't know, honestly, a whole lot about him other than what I read about him anyways, dealing with Logan. Seems like they're pretty good friends and they kind of stuck together and he's smart enough that Logan listens to him. Okay, one of the things I find interesting is how he went from, he felt that he was more of a warrior than anything else and then he found his calling as a teacher. Well, he still gets out on the battlefield, right, and mucks it up with the youngsters. I think, don't they also lead the blood claws a lot of times? Um, the uh, wolf priests? Just trying to keep them in sometimes. line? Sometimes. Okay. Yeah, I really don't have a whole lot else to talk to, talk about him. Uh, do you got anything else you want to say? No. Okay. Um, well, anyways, where I really want to go. <laughs> All right. Now you sit. In our last box, we discussed Liam and Russ, right? Right. And we started this box with his good friend, Bjorn, the fell-handed, right? Right. And then we talked about Logan and Ulrich, two of the greatest heroes of the millennium, right? Right. Make your point, Sektar. <clears throat> I, I was getting there. I just thought I could add some hyperbole to our next notable character. Your next character doesn't need such a grandiose introduction. He's pretty awesome. You're going to talk about Ragnar, right? Well, of course I am. But you're ruining my intro. Sorry, Zekthar. How about I give him an intro? Well, okay. Go ahead. Let's hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce, straight out of Fenris, Zekthar's favorite space wolf, as well as one of my own. The one, the only... Ragnar Blackbane. That was beautiful, Yuxin. Thank you. Carry on with your crockling, brother. Very well, I shall. 
Ragnar Blackmane is an unusual character in the realm of humanity. He is young, he is smart beyond his age, and he has a commander's flair. You know, he reminds me a lot of Terran 42's Hannibal Barca, the great Carthaginian commander during the Second Punic War. Like Hannibal, Ragnar inspires his troops, and they follow him like a father. But this was not always so. Ragnar's tale is very well documented by the human known as William King in his books uh, known as the first and second Space Wolf Omnibus. You can find these on Amazon, and I definitely recommend that you check them out. Both me and Yuxin have read them, and Yuxin will also agree anyways. These were fantastic books, right? Uh, I only read the second Omnibus. Anyways. What was that, Yuxin? We couldn't hear you. Uh, I like the second one. I didn't read the first one. Oh, well, you should. They were both great. Anyways, Ragnar was picked like all space wolves in battle. After being observed in combat, the space wolves took him from his tribe, the Thunderfists, and trained him in the Fang, the space wolf's stronghold on Fenris. Ragnar did not just do well as a trainee, he excelled. While he was the best of his group, he had one problem. The Berserker Rage. The insanity followed him after he became a space wolf, and to this day, he fights against the Blood Rage. While the space wolves are barbaric, to give yourself over to your basic instincts is not acceptable. When Ragnar was part of the Blood Claws, those reckless newcomers of the space wolves, he made a terrible mistake. Mistake? Did you say mistake? Yes, well, no. Let me explain. It all takes place in the planet of Garm. For those of you who listen to the Spear of Rus, you know the place. For those that didn't listen to the Vox on the Spear of Rus, it was a grand telling, brother. For those that wish to know the tale, go ahead and listen to listen at www.ushraka.com. Yes, but to those that didn't, let me explain. Garm was a planet that held trophies of the gene father, Lehman Russ, one of which was the Spear of Russ. This spear held mighty power and had even wounded Horus at his peak. Regardless, by the late 41st millennium, the Thousand Suns Traitor Legion once again assailed the shrine world of Garm, led by the foul sorcerer Madox. A chaos cult uprising on the planetary scale provided the necessary cover for the sorcerer to steal the sacred spear of Russ. Why did he want to do this? Why? I'm glad you asked. Madox's endgame was to use the spear as a conduit of sorcery and to put the Canis Helix on steroids. One of the interesting things about the gene seed of Lehman Russ was the Canis Helix. It gave the space wolves the, their barbaric nature, a natural wolf sense, the ability to sense danger, the predatory urge to gather together and hunt, the thing that made space wolves different from any other space marine chapter, their howling primal urge to survive, to be the wolf. Yes, Ekthar, the Canis Helix is a powerful part of who the Space Wolves are. It is, in fact, one of the reasons I like them. But, uh, what does this have to do with, uh, Maddox? Well, I'll tell you. If the Canis Helix doesn't agree with you, it begins to change you into the Wolfen. Think werewolf as Superman. You go off. The powers of the wolf. Your fingers now have claws. And you grow hair everywhere. And your teeth become fangs. And the halitosis is unbearable. 
and you become a beast. Your brain becomes a slave to the hunt, and the only thought in your mind is to kill, eat, and repeat. Space Wolves had a problem with this. Obviously. Yes. And soon the greater portion of the Space Wolves chapter was deployed to Garm. Eleven great companies, in fact, to help quell the massive uprising. One of these great companies was under the command of the wolf lord Beric Thunderfist, who commanded Ragnar's blood claws. During a climactic battle between the Chaos Sorcerer and Ragnar Blackmane, the young space wolf hurled the sacred spear of Rus into an open warp portal to prevent summoning the demon Primarch Magnus the Red from entering real space and turning the tide of battle. Though even the space wolf's great wolf, Logan Grimnar, believed that Ragnar's actions had saved the chapter from a potential disaster, many space wolves believed Ragnar had dishonored himself and his fellow battle brothers by losing one of the space wolves' greatest relics. Alas, Ragnar had to be punished for losing the spear. His sentence, to be stricken from the blood claw com comrades and become a wolf blade. The wolf blades are an honor guard to the navigator house of Belisarius. The origins of the wolf blade can be traced back over 10,000 Terran years. The ancient pact between the navigator house of Belisarius and the space wolves is lost to legend. But the most commonly accepted version of the story dates from the time of the Great Crusade and the friendship between Lehman Russ and Alexander Belisarius. Belisarius was a navigator of superb skill, said to have aided the Wolf King on many of his campaigns. On the day of the Feast of Founding, they are said to have sworn a pact of eternal friendship. As a sign of this friendship, the Belisarius family agreed to provide navigators for the chapter in perpetuity. In return, the Space Wolves, Marshal 8, an entire pack of Space Wolves would accompany the Celestark of House Belisarius as his bodyguard back to Terra, composed of one Astartes for each navigator granted by the house to the Space Wolves, which means the Wolf Blade normally numbers 24 Astartes. While a noble title, most of the wolves these days are shifted to this position because they are unwanted by the rest of the chapter. Think of it as a person that is good at their job, yet did something right but against the company policy. We don't want to get rid of you, but you have to be chastised. Such is the case with Ragnar. Now this is not the end of Ragnar, but his story will continue with his new comrades, Hager the Mountain and Torin the Wayfarer. Before I carry on, let me ask you, what are your thoughts, Yuxin, on the noble Ragnar? The only question I can think of right off the bat is, do you think it's a coincidence that his last name is in is the same as the mythological lieutenant of Morkai? I think it was given to him anyways as an honor. Honestly. I don't think he originally started as Ragnar Blackman. I think it was given to him because of his his success on the battle. Kind of like Ulrich now is known as Ulrich the Slayer. Kind of the same concept. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> I thought you wanted to keep it short. <laughs> it was like 30 seconds. You didn't have anything else you wanted to talk about? All right. <laughs> fine, 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 fine. We'll carry on. We will carry on. <laughs> Uh, I will carry on with my chronicling, Yuxin. Unless you want me to explain more about Blackmane, the Howler of the Dead. 
Oh, yeah. Possibly blessed actually? with supernatural he's powers. Cool. He's capable of raising the dead from the graves with his mournful calls. Yeah. <laughs> or is that it? That is basically the description that I found on Black Mane. Oh, okay. So you're done? Yeah. Okay. Right, I dare say that we cannot continue to discuss Ragnar without his fellow comrades in the Wolfblade. I speak of Hagar the Mountain and Torin the Wayfarer. These two are complete opposites, yet were close friends before Ragnar showed up on Holy Terra and welcomed the young space wolf into their fold. Soon, they were looking to him as their leader, but let us not get ahead of ourselves. Hagar was quite large, massive even for a space wolf. Not only was he massive in strength and size, but due to a strange defect in his gene seed, he was also rather portly. You're too polite, brother. He was fat. Yeah, yeah, yes, he was. But he had the strength to lift a tank if he wanted, without power armor. His weapon of choice? A thunder hammer, which he could wield with one hand if it required him to. Use a bolter in his other hand. What? Yes, brother. He had the strength to use both. Full of mirth and merriment, he was always ready to have a beer, feast, or have another beer. Bolsterous and cheerful, he seems a strange companion to his compatriot, Torrin the Wayfarer. Torrin is the only space wolf in history of the chapter to request an assignment with the wolf blade, while Hager is a huge space wolf both in personality and size, torn his average size and dresses more like a noble of the Imperium. He keeps his facial hair trimmed into a slender mustache and a tight cropped goatee. His hair on top of his head is cut to perfection. He has a noble air about him as opposed to the wild exterior that his comrades have. This is who Torn is, unlike his comrades who prefer to charge in guns blazing. Especially Hager. Mm-hmm. Torrin prefers a subtler approach. Personally, I think he would have done better off in the Alpha Legion if his honor was was less of a problem. Regardless of these weird quirks, they realized Ragnar's greatness, and so their adventures began. It started with a nefarious plan that found them embroiled in a Dark Angel's plot to capture and kill one of the elusive fallen angels. Captain Jeremiah Gaius led an elite Deathwing kill team that had long pursued and then prepared to capture one of the fallen angels known as Cadmus. This plot was secretly orchestrated by the Thousand Suns chaos sorcerer, Madox, who intended to stir up old animosities that burned between both chapters, dating back to the time of the Great Crusade. Soon, the Dark Angels' battle barge assaulted the planet of Hiatus, which was under the protection of the Space Wolves. Ragnar found himself and his companions in the midst of a great battle between the Dark Angels and the Space Wolves. The natural distrust of the Space Wolves and the Dark Angels, which has been passed down since the days of the Great Crusade and the bad blood between their respective Primarchs. If you recall right, Yuxin, you talked about this in our last box with the Lion and the Wolf, yes? Yes. Yeah. Well, because of that, anyways, this animosity, the two sides began to attack each other. And it wasn't long before Ragnar discovered the trickery of the Thousand Sons, and the two chapters set aside their differences and went after the errant Cadmus. They tracked down the traitor before 
he could make good his escape and succeeded in capturing the heretic. With a newfound mutual respect for each other, Ragnar withdrew his forces and let the Dark Angels conclude their chapter's business in privacy. After the campaign, Ragnar and his brothers set upon an adventure that would change the young wolf's life forever. When the Thousand Sons sorcerer Madox, you remember him, right, brother? Indeed, he is the chap that tried to use a spear rest and an unholy ritual to destroy the space wolves. This is what got Ragnar into this whole mess, yes? You are quite right, brother. But Madox found the spear and tried to use the same ritual to destroy the space wolves. What he didn't know was that Gabriella, the navigator, along with Ragnar and his friends, were sent on a mission to thwart this at the demon world of Karas, which was the central point of Madox's plan to destroy the space wolves using the Spear of Rus. Here, Ragnar found the long lost chapter of the 13th Company of Space Wolves who had been lost in the Eye of Terror for more than 10,000 years. With their help, they pursued Madox, and that is where names were made, as well as sacrifices. I know of what you speak of, brother. It was a dark day. Ah, it was, brother. That it was. Hagar met his end on Karas, where he sacrificed himself by engaging Madox, in a mortal struggle, while the evil sorcerer clutched Ragnar in an unholy grip of spells. Hagar rushed forward, regardless of life or limb, and scooped up the traitor by the neck. Panicked by the display of beef, Madox sent his energy into Hagar, mortally wounding him, but giving Ragnar enough time to recover from Madox's sorcerous assault. In the end, Ragnar was able to defeat Madox, thrusting the spear of rust into the heart of the sorcerer. Yet while he saved the space wolves, Hagar's sacrifice saved not only the sacred spear, but also the entire space wolf chapter. A moment of silence for a fallen hero? Agreed, brother. This is a hero for the Imperium that deserves a moment of silence. I will say, after this, Ragnar went back to Garm to return the Spear of Rus, and on the shrine he placed Hagar's massive drinking horn, knowing of the sacrifice of his fallen brother, and thinking that it was a relic no less worthy than the Spear itself. Well, brother, what do you think of this mighty trio? Hagar died a true hero's death. Aye, that he did, brother. But what of Torin and Ragnar? Well, well, Ragnar became a wolf lord. While Torin, it's hard to say what happened to Torin. The two parted ways after their last great adventure. And while Ragnar mentions in William King's books that perhaps he is still with the wolf blade, although it is not documented. But I guess, uh, I guess I ask again, brother, what do you think of this trio? Hmm. I would have to say I find it interesting how um, they focus on this trio more than they do any of the other wolf blades. I know that's saying, not saying much since, you know, you can only talk about so many people. Yeah. Uh, and in, 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 the, in the books, anyways, they are following Ragnar. Yeah. And it's more, uh, well, the first book, it's more of the kind of, are all together they aren't really none of them's really following 
the others. It's in the second one that basically ends up taking charge. Anyways. Well, yeah, if I recall right, the first book is him just showing up anyways and kind of figuring out who the wolf blade are. Yeah. And it does, and it does kind of, that's the one where they actually do kind of do really do form a bond anyways, a friendship. Right. But yeah, it, I, like I said before, anyways, William King's his books, he, he does some other stuff too. Anyways, he's, he's one of my favorite authors, but both the two omnibuses about the space wolves, they're worth reading and they're, and you can find them on Amazon. They're great. Unfortunately, brother, we have to leave Ragnar and his valiant band. We have one last person to speak of. Who? Who could be greater than Ragnar and his valiant Wolfblade brothers? The Jackal Wolf? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough, brother. Yes, we must speak of the Jackal. What has he done this time? Pogo sticks and Logan shoes, or perhaps something more devious, like slipping a laxative into Ulrich's mead, so he spends the knife at howling at the moon. <laughs> no, nothing of the sort. I dare say we have to chronicle the trickster. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we do. Now, Lucas Strifeson has many names, of which amongst the many profane are the trickster and the jackal. <laughs> Most space wolves call them different names along the four-letter concept. <laughs> I digress. Go ahead. Sorry. Before becoming a space wolf, he had a roguish scoundrel disposition to the point where he was near legend amongst the women folk of Fenris for having shared a dozen beds in a night. Becoming a space wolf seems to have increased this flawed character of his. Now, don't get me wrong. He is known to be very cunning. But on the other hand, his pranks have been at such levels that he has been passed from company to company inside the Space Wolves chapter. I think this statement sums up why Lucas has actually survived from being killed by his own Space Wolves. He is a Lord of Misrule, a clown, the fool in the court of Russ, speaking truth where it is neither wanted nor acceptable. Simply because it must be done. There must be one voice, at least, that howls against tradition. There must be one voice, at least, that howls against the tradition. Else we grow complacent. Lucas Streifson is to move out of step with the chapter. That is the thread of his fate, spun so long ago. When he first was dragged off the ice, pups die for pride unless someone teaches them otherwise. Old wolves have one thing in common, cunning. Strength and valor earn a glorious death, but cunning earns a long life. He will not be our salvation, Grimblood, but he will make sure some of us are around when the wolf time rolls around at last. This was said by wolf priest Galra Runer in conversation with wolf lord Jarl Grimblood on why Lucas has not been killed by his own kin. Not to say that he wasn't almost killed for a prank. In fact, Lucas was almost killed by Bjorn Stormwolf, for he roused the volcanic wrath of Bjorn Stormwolf by soiling the Wolf Lord Terminator's armor 
with a swarm of microscopic blood lice. Indignation and no small amount of uncontrollable itching, Stormwolf battered the sniggering Jack Wolf unconscious. Fortunately for the blood claw, Ragnar Blackmane interceded before the giant could land a finishing blow, claiming the mischievous warrior for his own great company and, in doing so, saving Luke's life. Now, I know, dear brother, that you wish to discuss some of your favorite stories on this unique individual, but I feel it would behoove me to tell the tale of the false duel. While most of the Space Wolf companies were fighting across the Imperium, Lucas Streifson, as the senior blood claw, was left on the fane with the rest of the chapter's youngsters. A feast of Lucas and others was interrupted by a horrific message brought by an unknown blood claw, who explains the forces of chaos had made a vox contact with the fang and were threatening to bombard the space wolves monastery from orbit lucas though slow to react due to being drunk received the blood claws message and calmed the tension in the great hall answering the call of the servant of chaos through the vox transmission the voice on the other side introduced himself as chaos lord mofrank of the world bearers a prideful and zealous figure who claimed to have slain dozens of space wolves and a wolf lord named Hrothgar. Mofrank vowed to destroy the space wolves by bombing the fang from orbit. Lucas called on the chaos lord's cowardice and challenged Mofrank to a duel with their honor guard on open ground on Fenris. The challenge was accepted, and Lucas transferred the data of the meeting area to Mofranc's cogitaire system as he deactivated the systems of the orbital defenses. As soon as the transmission was over, Lucas left the Voxcaster and proceeded with his drinking. The space wolves around Lucas were confused and sought guidance of the jackal wolf following the necessary arrangements for the duel. Laying down on the bench with one eye open, Lucas explains that the Corsair grade data corruptor that was sent to Mofranc's ship bore false topography on Fenris, along with coordinates for the very middle of the Sea of Lost Souls. Lucas continued explaining that the ice of the sea is very thin, and during the summer, the ice is even thinner. Little did Lord Mofranc know that he and his great hosts were sent by Lucas to meet their frozen demise. Now, Zekthar, what stories would you like to tell about Lucas? Okay, before I... I do have a good story to tell about him, but talking about your story real quick, you know how hard it is for a space wolf to actually get drunk? <laughs> it's almost impossible. Thanks to all the gene seeds that they have. That's insane. He must have like pounded down like kegs upon kegs upon kegs of beer. <laughs> anyways, I digress. My favorite has got to be anyways, the assault on Pollux uh, uh, Tatiris. He was obviously anyways, people have a problem trusting Lucas. And uh, um. <clears throat> He was, you know, was kind of sidelined for this uh, orc invasion. 
of the uh, Pollux uh, Tertius. So they put him up on this uh, orbital station uh, until he got retrieved by this gunship. Unbeknownst to the Wolf Lord, however, Lucas was somewhat familiar with the Orc language. And well, well, limited... I'll here for a sec. If you notice, if you remember right, the Wolf Lord was happened to be Jarl Grimblood, which, you know, I just mentioned in a quote earlier. Mm, quite right. Yes, yes. Anyways, uh, yeah, so Grimblood is the one who stranded him out on this orbital ship. But what he didn't know is, is that Lucas knows a little bit of orc language. And he was sitting on a communications area with the access to every orc boss on the planet. Using his knowledge of the orc language, Lucas set about stoking the fires of the natural rage of the Greenskins. In fact, he proved so successful that he made the orcs turn on one another and engage their swile comrades in battle. This infighting amongst the orcs greatly diminished the greenskid hordes before Grimblood, and his great company could even make Planetfall. I could just only imagine what that, that conversation sounded like. <laughs> you know, it's like, who's this? <laughs> I'm stupid. No, I'm not stupid. Yeah, you are. Blotnose said so. Oh, Blotnose, you little punk, come here. Oh, what did I do? Well, you little... Ah, you know? <laughs> Just doing that over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, I, I can just see it. And, and, and I know that we both like the orcs, but it's just... Why don't they do this all the time? They could. The Empire could just do this every time. The orcs are just so unorganized anyway. They could just literally vox these guys and they could just get them to fight each other over and over and over again. Or maybe not. It depends. <laughs> what do you mean? It could go sideways. Try to stoke the fire. And all of a sudden he goes, you're what stupid. He's like, I'll prove you wrong. I'll kill more people than you. Um... <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that too late. <laughs> well, I hate to say it, Yixen, but our time is up. Really? Yes, quite so. I could give lectures about may, uh, many famous space wolves for another three episodes. How did we not talk about Arjak the Rockfist or Najal Stormcaller? Grr. Unfortunately, Zekar, we do not have the time. <sighs> yes, you are quite right, brother. And unfortunately, we cannot talk about such mighty wolves in the next episode. Why not? Unfortunately, we will be giving dictations on how space marines are made. Mm. Must we talk about this? We have to, Yusin. After all, those listening will never know the sacrifice and horror of becoming one of the Emperor's angels. It's going to be a grim one next week, isn't it? Yes. I'm afraid it is. But let's try to keep it as lighthearted as we can, alright? Hmm. Yes, I shall try. But at the same time, one of the things you're talking about is removing one testique. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. This is Zexthar. And Yuxin. But don't forget to ask your questions at www.ashraka.com. Quite right, brother. Well, this is us, signing off. <laughs>